Welcome to a special edition of Breaking Badness. In this bonus episode, you'll hear from the Global Data Protection Officer at OneLogin, Neve Muldoon. Co-host Tim Helming and myself sat down with her to cover career path, data privacy and regulation, and the state of remote work survey. This bonus episode of Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to our special edition of Breaking Badness, recorded on March 11th, 2021. With us today, Global Data Protection Officer at OneLogin, Neve Muldoon. Today, we're going to pick her brain on a career path, data privacy and regulation, the 2020 COVID-19 State of Remote Work Survey, and much more. We're also joined by Domain Tools Security Evangelist, Tim Helming. And I'm your co-host for the day, Kelsey LaBelle. So with that, I want to welcome to the podcast, Neve. We are so excited to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks a million, Kelsey and Tim. I'm so honored to be here. This is a great uh, podcast, and I'm honored to represent One Login on it and the Irish community. <laughs> yes, we're so happy to have you with us, and uh, we love doing international podcasts. So, uh, yeah. Spread the word in Ireland. Folks should listen to Breaking Badness. <laughs> and really, Tim, I should say, Kate Mila Falcher wrote, which is a thousand million welcomes. Oh, oh man, that was good. <laughs> you know, we're planning. I can't promise this, but at the time of this recording, we're planning for this to go out on St. Patrick's Day. Oh, I should have uh, prepped for that and had a few Patrick's Day things. You know, I don't know. I, I should know this, but as a cultural thing, I don't know. Is is that day a big deal in Ireland or is that just something that we Yankees have like run with? Oh my God, it's huge. It, it's the, it's an opportunity to sell Irish pride and to really show um, the Irish culture and what the Irish people are all about. So it, it's it's huge around the globe. Do you dye foods green like we do? Like like when I was on the East Coast, all the bagel shops had green bagels that day. Do you do, you do that or is that a, just a weird American thing? No. So I, I remember my big treat growing up um, was to go to McDonald's and get my green milkshake. Ah, the shamrock shake. <laughs> the shamrock shake. Yes. Oh, good reminder. I'm going to get that next week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Everything boy. gets dyed green now. I think the Liffey, which is um, the river which uh, Dublin City is, is built on. Um, we have fireworks, celebrations. So, yeah. Sounds good. Sounds like fun. That's lovely. Oh, my gosh. Well, one of the favorite things we like to do when we kick off these podcasts, you know, we usually play Two Truths and a Lie, and we're sharing article titles, and some of which are, you know, two of which are true, and one is a, a blatant lie. We're trying to deceive each other, but it's even more fun when we have our guests on and we get them to talk about themselves. So, what we like to do is get our guests to share three statements at the beginning of the episode, and then Tim and I are going to do our best to social engineer you and get to know you throughout. And then we'll come back to it at the end and we'll both give it our best guess. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, so uh, on that, actually, uh, throughout my career, I have learned a great, um, and I take it from a great Irish poet, 
uh, Seamus Heaney, he says, whatever you say, say nothing. And that's the key to your success in protecting your privacy and information. So best of luck to you guys. (laughs) Challenge accepted. (laughs) Well, we're all ready. We're going to sit here and absorb every word, every breath, and see what we can get from it. Okay, so keeping with the team of technology and security and threats, I'm gonna give you three facts, or so-called facts about me. My first technology job was working at MIT. Fact number one. Fact number two, my first security job was actually in physical security and it was protecting Bono, his wife, Ali, and their children as they traveled around the US um, doing tour. Fact number two. Fact number three and the final fact, my first cybersecurity job was working in capital markets, um, which is an international section of a bank, an Irish financial bank called Allies Irish Banks. Ooh, and you can hold us responsible here because if we went into your LinkedIn, you could call us out real quick and say, hey, (laughs) where's the integrity? (laughs) Is that social engineering or is that is that considering a more targeted attack? That's that's OSINT. Uh, You could argue. (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right. Those are all really good. I'm going to have to simmer on those for a bit. Hmm. Given us a lot to think about already. <laughs> all right. While the gears turn in Tim and my mind, this, I mean, this is going to sound a little bit like a, a setup here, but our first questions for you are actually around your career path. And we always find it's a great place to start and understanding, you know, what initially attracted folks to InfoSec. It's so fun to hear what like captures people or captured people's attention and drew them into this space. So I guess that's my first question for you is what what initially attracted you to a career in InfoSec? Um, so when I, I studied geography and economics at college as my undergraduate and uh, I did a postgrad in in technology and I came I started my career as a Lotus Notes developer, believe it or not. And it was market events or events around the globe that actually got me my career path in security. Um, so I it was just after September the 11th had happened and there, there was huge um, security controls put in place around devices and how people were going through airports or remote working. And I was asked to look at, investigate and research tools for mobile technology so people could access their data and system security using, don't laugh now, PDA devices, laptops, and mobile phones. So my very first project in security was to come up with a way of being able to get your Lotus Notes email on your mobile phone. And that was before the iPhone. So that that sparked my interest. I hadn't studied it. I had never really heard about information security since. um, And then I was asked to work on that project. After that project, then there was another security incident that occurred. Um, An Irish banker, uh, Rusnak, defrauded the Allied Irish banks for, I think, over 700 700,000 or 700 million, which was the biggest U.S. US fraud um, 
um, case in history. And I was asked to join the security team to come in and investigate. And basically, I spent the next three years of my career going around to all our international offices and sitting down with the traders and the back office um, trading staff to understand how they were accessing and using systems and to come up with what was known as a health check best practices on how they should be accessing systems and data in a secure fashion, as well as adhering to their their processes and procedures. And that's that's pretty much how I, how I got into it, and and I'm I'm still in it twenty twenty years later. Um, I stayed for I I stayed with Allied Irish Banks for for the first twelve years of my career. I got great opportunities to work on projects, uh, bringing in new systems, streamlining new systems and processes, um, running third party risk. Um, I think. I think a key thing for me was I was always willing to change and to learn more. I then decided to expand out and I went to another Irish company called Paddy Power, which they were an e-gaming company. And I got the great opportunity to help them mature, move them from an IT security function to an information security function, building the awareness around how data is key. Um, I remember one day, um, one of their biggest, biggest businesses is around horse racing and Cheltenham Festival, which takes place. And I remember looking up at the, the dashboards, the Splunk dashboards and seeing a huge surge of traffic. And this, of course, correlates with a DDoS attempt. And I said, actually, no, this is genuine. The other two competitor sites were down. Our site was the only site up, so it was legitimate traffic. And we know we didn't have to go into DDoS protection measures. So there was absolutely no impact to the business. But I remember that day being a key point in my career in supporting the business to make the right informed decision, which enabled them to continue with their business services and generated them revenue. It was at that point then that I was, you know, the whole cloud environment, SaaS environment was taken off and Workday's name was becoming big in in EMEA. And I was always interested in privacy. So an opportunity came up to join Workday and grow their privacy ethics and compliance team for EMEA. I did miss the hands-on technical security role. Um, so within a year and a half of being there, I was like trying to get back into the security space. And that's when I met Vanessa and the DocuSign role came up to go and work uh, back, um, really building and driving the DocuSign security team. Uh, supporting their the existing incident response team again similar to the Paddy Power role of differentiating the difference between IT security and information security so the training and awareness um, and really what I was um, looking for a female CISO and Vanessa is a well-known well known globally. So I was super excited to get the opportunity to go and work directly for Vanessa and learn directly for, from a female CISO and just really see if there was that difference that, you know, um, that I always 
wanted to have a female CISO leader. That's quite a compliment because I know that you actually, leading you to your current, your present work experience, you followed Vanessa, um, continuing to work with her, and you are now at One Login. There are so many great nuggets that you brought up that I'm just like, my tongue is bleeding because I know we're putting a pin in them and coming back to a few later, like what you just mentioned with your your mentor and some just nuggets of advice that you'd actually interlaced with your background. Um, and one of the questions that I love asking on this podcast is for those that are more junior in their careers or even are hoping to break into the industry, do you have any recommendations on what skills to learn or how to even market themselves, especially those that don't have what might be called a quote unquote cookie cutter, whatever that means, infosec background? Oh my God. So this um, information security is huge. So it, it covers people, processes and technology. So it touches every single aspect. So for those uh, people looking to get into the industry, I would say really to sit down and understand what they like doing, what are they passionate about? And if it's processes, if it's technologies, if it's working with people is to build your career around those aspects. Working with business processes, we're all using and producing data and accessing systems. There is the data element around how to protect the data from a confidentiality, integrity and availability perspective. Um, there is the people aspects, the training and awareness, and then the technologies, designing, implementing, automating controls. I guess working for small a smaller organization gives you the opportunity to be able to move quickly, try out new things, build skill sets. And I, I really see this all the time with people coming out of, um, out of college that are full of um, passion to get going with their career. And those that have maybe not been clear on the, their direction going into the smaller company has allowed them to foster and grow at a faster rate. I mean, I, I, working with Vanessa has been amazing for me from the DocuSign one login perspective. My, my working with Vanessa at DocuSign is very different to working with Vanessa at one login. Um, I have grown as a person in my skill set, but the two organizations are, are very different, very different culturally. Um, at one log in security, trust and security works directly into reports directly into the CEO. It, it's fully backed. We have um, we have a security first value here. And I think that allows me to be able to think strategically, um, implement some of the the items that I'm passionate about, some of the um, the programs around security awareness, working with our customers around delivering and keeping trust and security constant in their brains to make sure that we're we're globally stronger in the fight against cybercrime. I love that, and again, to go loop back to something that you were saying there about how important Vanessa has been in your career and how much you've learned from her. I'm curious if there are any other points in time or moments that you can sort of reflect on or go back to that you feel defined or significantly changed the trajectory of your career. 
right back to to the start in in AIB um after I was seconded to work with the security team to come up with products for securing access to mobile devices they had originally wanted me to go back to be a Lotus Notes developer because it was unheard of for somebody to come in and go into the information security team people told me I was closing off my career wanting to specialize in security at such a young age um, and there the COO um, CIO at the time Marcel McCann stood up for me and he said if it if that's what you're passionate about I'm going to make sure that you have a career and that you can um, have a career to grow in that space and that's what he did he he mentored me for the 12 years that I was in that organization and as he moved throughout that organization I did too I ended up always moving to the to the sections where he was working the enterprise change the enterprise business architecture and um yeah he gave me the opportunities that that really shaped my career and got me to where I am today. He wasn't a cybersecurity or information security specialist himself, but he helped me build out my business knowledge, my professional knowledge. I learned um, how to stand up for myself, how to put my risk assessments together for various different audiences. So I think having somebody that believes in you um, and that is willing to go the extra mile to sponsor your career really, really um is the supporting driver absolutely that's certainly been my experience as well and i love i love these kernels of advice right you know follow what you're passionate about to find your strength find these mentors and work closely with them and learn from them and the true value of a leader being in in that sponsorship not necessarily the subject matter expert and then i also love what you said earlier too about just being a forever learner and just always going after trying to under, understand um, and just growing, not to go back to the 80s here, but the whole growth mindset bit. So yeah. I think those are wonderful pieces of advice. And to be so well supported by the folks that you were uh, working with, is it's really great to hear stories like that as well. Well, the final career-based question I have for you Neve is, are there any myths about privacy or InfoSec that you would like to or you wish you could debunk? Wow, that's such a big question. Where to start? Um, there's many myths. People fear information security and privacy. It's like, oh my God, oh, I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm not an expert in it. And they overcomplicate it and they feel, oh my God, you need to be X, Y, Z. And it's it it's not it's not true at all. Um, I really feel that if you look at yourself and your identity, and how you manage your data and what's important to you, and really transferring that mindset into the customer focused or a company fo focus from your information assets, you will be successful in understanding their requirements. So translating it back to yourself. Um, I think the a lot of females feel, oh my God, you, it, you know, there you have to be a certain way. You have to understand all this technology. You have to be super smart developer. Um, I didn't study computer science. I'm never going to be successful. 
there, there's many different <laughs> there's many different angles I could take on that one. I love that. Um, you know, I've uh, I've often said to folks um, that if, in fact, I was asked one time uh, after I gave a talk or a panel discussion, um, uh, if you had to boil everything down to one idea uh, or what's the most important idea or something like that in security, what would that be? And I talked about the principle of least privilege. And if you, if you understand and sort of ask the least privilege type question about any particular scenario or technology or what have you, uh, I think that can help guide you. And, and I think that's similar to, I love the way that you put it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I couldn't agree more that you don't have to be intimidated by the technological aspects of it um, to be very good at security. And I know this is just a total cliche, but my folks who are, uh, you know, of a really a pre-internet kind of generation uh, have been, have become very good and very adept at um, sussing out stuff that might be suspect and, uh, you know, not falling for scams and whatnot. And um, they are, my, uh, they're not technical from an IT point of view at all, but you know, it's people can, can definitely pick it up. So I love your, uh, your answer and your, your observations on that. Um, we're going to shift gears just slightly, uh, you know, in the, just being in this business, we hear a lot about the inherent tension between security and regulatory compliance. Um, you know, are they, how much equivalence is there between them? How different are they? Hey, we're, we're compliant. So are we good, et cetera. Um, can you share some observations, Neve, about how you've seen that tension playing out in real life? Great question. Yeah, I think um, the whole cloud computing has really brought the, the regulations to the forefront of people's minds. Uh, we're operating around the globe right now, every single person is. And data and systems stored in the cloud means that organizations, for organizations to be successful, they need to consider it at the global level um, and consider the regulations that support technology and data at a global level. The compliance requirements uh, vary from industry to industry around how data is managed. Um, and then you'll have your customers on top of that looking for certain requirements to be met in contractual commitments. Identity and access management, access management and access control is the one area that goes across laws, regulations, compliance, and customers asks. Everybody wants to make sure that their data is protected and access control is, is the one or is the foundation control set that provides that assurance from the security side. So the unlawful, unauthorized access attempts 
um, and also the privacy side. How do I ensure that my data is only being accessed by those authorized to access it? And how do I ensure that the data is only being used for the business purpose that I give access? And that's really what brought me to OneLogin because I can see identity and access management being the foundation of of everything in the future. And the one login and our trusted experience platform is building on that, on those requirements, that success and helping um, provide that assurances for customers, no matter what industry that they operate in. Gotcha. Um, no, I love that. And uh, uh, I, I was really struck by one thing that you said there about how everyone should be mindful that every individual is in some sense operating at a global scale because of the cloud and because of, of where our data resides. Love that. That really gives a kind of a, a almost a mind's eye visual of um, what we're kind of contending with. So, uh, so that's really cool. Neve, I think you've kind of You've covered what I'm about to ask a little bit. In fact, the, the next couple of things, but I'm going to go ahead and, and ask you these anyway, um, which is one of them is, can you speak to the impact of a technology first rather than a data first uh, approach? Um, maybe just dig into that a little bit more than uh, what you've shared so far. Um, so it, it really starts with your your end users, the people that are interacting with the technology and understanding the business requirement. What is the technology trying to achieve? Um, I've seen um, I've seen technologies being implemented without factoring in how the, the user element of it and it therefore the user acceptance of the technology and the security being compromised because they haven't been at the table or the voice hasn't been there. Yeah. Um, and that, that puts the security question into, into everyday terms that are, um, that are relevant to everything that folks do. Um, so I love that. And I think that sometimes folks that are technologically savvy want to jump right to the, oh, we should use this technology to secure this kind of thing. And, and I love that you're saying, well, hold on, let's step back a little bit and talk about the data itself and talk about the business goals. Um, and the people. So that dovetails And the, to, the user. Yeah. And the people. Yeah, absolutely. And really, because that's what's going to make your yeah. technology successful um, is, is the people are they accepting it from a, a culture and mindset, a usability? Um, and really, if you look at biometrics, I mean, biometrics is a key piece in identity and access management. It's been around for the, for the entire length of my career, but the user acceptance hasn't been there. We're, we don't see it widely used. Over the last five, five years, yes, it, we've seen it more and more and into the future, we're going to see it. We, we've been selling it um, as security professionals for 20 years. It's the strongest form of, of an authentication factor. 
because it identifies you. As you can see, I'm passionate about that, but that's just a great example of uh, of a technology. However, maybe the the user experience or the user acceptance mindset wasn't wasn't ready for it. So do you think just on that, along those lines, of course, there are many different forms of biometrics, but do you think the fact that uh, the likes of Apple building in uh, thumbprint readers to phones and whatnot will open the door to more acceptance of biometrics? I definitely do. And we have seen seen that in, in the last, along with the cybersecurity breaches um, and the education technology um people are more open to it the enabler is there for it to be more successful now and into the future that's a good sign so uh one more thing i would love to ask is uh how in your opinion can managers and leaders set their organizations up for success when it comes to privacy well so the first the it's privacy by design it is you know really understanding do you need the data so we're today we live in a world of everything is driven by data big data data analytics it, it data comes at us from all angles and i really think less is more least privilege um and going back um going back to your original point on on least privilege having having concise, accurate data to help you make informed business decisions and starting off at, well, what do I need? What is the business need for this decision? How does it help our organization and how does it support our customers? Is that from a business enablement perspective, driving the business forward? Is it helping with keeping the products up and available? Is it helping on the security side? Do we need to gather more about user behaviors to support us keeping our our end users security conscious and prevent them from making those risk-based decisions? Being transparent then from with the your end users and your customers around the use of their data. Cool. Thank you. Um, I think that's, you know, in my opinion, if uh, if more organizations took that to heart, we'd we'd be doing better. So um, so there you go, folks. Uh, <laughs> Breaking Badness listeners have the chance to benefit from this wisdom for sure. And uh, um, I think those are great messages to uh, to bring to companies. Absolutely. And uh, before we, you know, I, I want to change gears a little bit here, not to cause any. Uh... <laughs> distress but there's obviously a big month that we're in the midst of right now which is you know really celebrating women in tech and so before we sort of loop back to doing our darndest to suss out your lie um one login recently conducted a survey called again the 2020 COVID 19 state of remote work report and it covers a lot of ground and it's well worth a read we're going to make sure we actually link it in the podcast itself in the notes but there are a few things that stuck out to me that I'd love to pick your brain on. And one of them is, again, it's timely. We're in the midst of Women in Tech Month and gender diversity and security was a major topic in the survey. So based on your experience in combination with the survey itself, 
What, if any, are some differences that you find between male and female identifying infosec professionals and how they approach security? Great question. Um, the differences in, in approach, I think, for for everybody out there, it should be an encouragement to have bring diversity and, and to bring a diverse and inclusive environment into business decisions, into all aspects of the business and really make sure that from when you're building, doing a new security product project or a new privacy project and you're looking for user groups um, or people to work on them, that you, you're capturing a diverse and inclusive group of your organization and females and, and males also. Absolutely. Well said. And something specific from the survey that was touched on is security hygiene between different genders and how they approach it. Would you mind covering that a bit? Uh, no, no problem. Yeah. I don't know. Does it come back to them? You know, sometimes when I'm interviewing people, the difference between um, females and males is the is the confidence so females really feel before they can they go for a job or they interview for a job they really feel that they have had to do every single task or responsibility outlined in the job spec where males will come in uh, by default and say no problem I can do the job uh, and it's a confidence thing so I think from a, a female perspective we tend to really want to demonstrate that we can clearly do something we've mastered it um, we want to make sure that we we follow processes going back to the very beginning of our conversation when you were talking about your mentors um, i think it was vanessa and marcel correct me if i'm wrong um, early on it's so important to have and be surrounded by people like that it doesn't need to be someone that you're reporting to or somebody that's senior to you but at least peers that help build that confidence especially as a woman or a female identifying person in tech. So um, I'm mentally pairing those two, those two things together as being sort of the magical combination to build that, that confidence. I will say that uh, I, upon reading your survey results, uh, I tweeted out basically that uh, fellow dudes, we, we got to do, we got some work to do to, to catch up with women as far as a lot of foundational security practices. So come on guys. <laughs> We've got to got to work on this. Um, Neve, uh, infosec organizations, like all organizations, were impacted, of course, hugely by COVID. And I would be curious to know, um, from your perspective, the evolution of how you saw organizations approaching and responding to the pandemic. So the first wave of the pandemic, Tim, the the focus was really on getting businesses up and running, operational. And people took, in order to do that, they brought in new technologies, new collaboration tools um, to get the organizations up and going. As the pandemic um, continued on, the realization was hitting that this is here to stay. And with that, we saw a change in mindset. We saw the, the change in mindset around 
uh-oh, we have risks here. We're, we're carrying risks around systems and, and data. This is the long term. We, um, and again, the increase in threats, the threat landscape, particularly phishing campaigns, supported the that realization around the risk. And really what we saw towards the end of last year was identity and access management projects become priorities, digital transformation programs becoming priority for organizations because they realize they probably have a high spend in the technologies that they're using and they need to streamline them down for the end user community, but also they're carrying a huge amount of risk. They've taken data perhaps out of systems that had access control in place in the first place and put them into collaboration environments in the cloud. And they haven't really validated that appropriate access control has been put in place. So, yeah, I'd say there was a lot of sleepless nights. And if you look at the survey results, it, it, kind, it indicates um, to that there was a lot of sleepless nights around around that risk. We are seeing a huge demand for identity and access management programs, maturity programs, digital transformation as well, and identity and access management being a core component of that digital transformation. Got it. And uh, no, I think those are those are great observations. And so to now look, you know, a little bit forward, once we get to a post-pandemic world, hopefully we do, <laughs> what are some things that you think uh, we'll take with us as learnings from the pandemic times? And um, along with that, do you think there are going to be downsides to the return to normal that people might be overlooking? So the right first now? thing I'm going to say is that security and privacy is part of the business continuity plan. <laughs> I think that was the key, the key learning um, from the pandemic. Secondly, I don't think we're ever going to go back to the way things were. Remote working is here to stay. I think the realization that that something like this could happen again. Um, so the diverse working environments, the hybrid working model is here to stay. So with that, that brings in the whole focus on really understanding who and what is trying to access your network, your system, and your data from a security perspective. It's going to be harder for, without having um, a program and a framework in place for identity and access management for security teams to stay on top of all of the threats. Gotcha. Uh, that makes a ton of sense. Um, well, you know, as always, uh, a lot of a lot of work to be done, um, but. But yeah, I think, first of all, I totally agree that um, that we are not going to go back to uh, exactly the form of work that we were uh, seeing before. I suppose there may be some companies that go back to 100% in the office, uh, um, but I doubt there will be that many. And I think companies that do that will um, will stand out in ways that they might or might not uh, want to um, once they if that happens. But, uh, but thank you so much. These have been um, really insightful uh, conversations here. So we are at the point in the podcast where we are going to come back to 
your two truths and a lie. And Kelsey and I are going to try to uh, try to suss out what is what is true and what isn't. So, Kelsey, what do you think? Like, should we have Neve restate the three statements or should we just dive in with our I guesses? Think, I think we should do a quick restate. Because I know you and I have been honing in on this this whole time, but I want to make sure our audience is reminded of. That's true. For those playing along <laughs> at home, get your yes. pencils out. Prepare yourself. <laughs> Prepare yourselves. Okay, here I go. My first technology job was working for MIT. My first security job was in physical security, and it was protecting Bono, his wife, Ali, and their children during their tour to the U.S. one summer. My first cybersecurity job was working for Captain Markets, which was the international sector of an Irish bank called Allied Irish Banks. You did a great mm, job. These are so good. Pen. I was getting a little cocky there at the beginning. I was like, oh, I know. I know what's true and what's not. But now that <laughs> I'm listening again to the intricacies of those statements, I'm like, dang. And maybe I concentrated so hard on the podcast <laughs> not to be social engineered <laughs> that it really impacted my my ability. Maybe I can't multitask. Maybe I'm really not the typical female. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree with that statement. I would not have known that you were subconsciously thinking that in the background. Me neither. Oh my gosh, well done well indeed. Done. Uh, well, Tim, would you... Do you have a preference on going first or second? Oh my gosh! Sure, I'll 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 dive in here, and uh, you know it would be easy to say, oh well, the 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 one about physical security for Bono and his family. I mean, how many of us are are, are likely to be involved? In, what are the what are the chances? But I've learned in life that you never you never can assume. You know, you do meet that person who has that amazing story like that. So. I have a quick question um, on that well, one, that one, not to interrupt you, Tim, but it's, oh, sure. it's worth it for the pun. Oh, you, a clarifying Very important question. Clarifying question. If, if you did that for free, would you call that pro bono? <laughs> oh god <laughs> mic drop moment for kelsey oh. sorry to run up Deb. reminder everyone kelsey can yeah. be found on twitter at puns and roses oh gosh sorry to interrupt you tim i guess uh, flying out of my no, mouth it, that was worth <laughs> that was absolutely worth the interruption so i don't know even though that one might seem like the kind of obvious one I'm going to pick that one. And my rationale here is just that uh, I've learned through this game that sometimes people will say a little more detail about the thing that's the lie. By the way, I do that too. So I'm just going to guess. Um, but I, I actually hope I'm wrong because if I'm wrong about that, I we need to hear more of that story. <laughs> I'm actually, I think that one's true because... I also want to believe it's true for for Bono's sake. I mean, I, that would be good for Bono if you were if you're a Cuban after. Heck yeah. Um, I'm gonna go with. Hmm. This is this is a little bit of a risk because you just didn't bring it up at all. So I don't know. You, I noticed you did not bring up when you where you went to university, which I feel like was purposeful. Um, <laughs> and I'm I'm gonna go with MIT as the as the untruth. Just because you didn't bring up any uni, so I just uh, a specific institution name, and I'm just gonna go all out on that one as the lie. <laughs> oh. Could be wrong. <laughs> 
I have been social engineered. <laughs> ah! Oh my gosh. Oh. But it's I, not you. Yeah. Tim social engineered me. He's no. correct. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow, I was so cocky there. I've made a fool of myself. No. Oh my gosh. Oh, uh, well. Well, I see, I'm trying to learn something. This is like so many other things, Neve. You have to practice it. And if you do two truths and a lie enough, and if you get it wrong enough, like I have, uh, you, you learn something. But you know what, Tim? <laughs> so, you, you had it down to the button. So you picked out the user behavior. You ooh, said, yeah, ooh. which is 100%. Like 100%. I... Uh, around the lie you said I feel like it's a lie because you went into more detail on it and and and, and that is that is a uh, an indicator when you're doing investigations and you're following up and you're talking to people that is one trait that you would look for another thing is is the change in in tone if you're in person you'd be looking for the body language these are all these are all things that incident investigators look out for. Tim, you, you took the Got advice it. that Neve gave in the podcast. You were a forever learner and you absorbed <laughs> her knowledge and used it into truth and a lie. Brilliant. <laughs> That's it. My work day is over. <laughs> recorded the wins. If you actually met me in person, I, I'm like five foot seven. I don't really look like I could burn. <laughs> But I could protect. I'm not. Oh, but you never know. I mean, you could be you could be a crack shot at you know 200 yards with a pistol. I mean, we we have no idea, right? That's what makes the game so. One fun. should never underestimate. Uh, yeah, never underestimate. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't mess with you. <laughs> yeah, I, and again, that goes down to the the whole stereotypes, right? But anyway, I got social engineered. You exactly. guys, social engineered me. Well done. <laughs> well done, Tim. Well played. Well played indeed. Well, Neve. Well, well done, Neve, because those were uh, those were awesome truths. They and were. They were great. Those those were bothering me the whole time. I was like, I must I must know what is true. Um, and I just I want to thank both of you so much. It's been so nice to have this discussion and, and to learn from you, Neve, and, and hear from and learn from your experience, frankly. So I appreciate your thoughtful comments and just insight into the industry. And I know your time is extremely limited. So thank you for spending it with us. No problem at all. Um, it, it was an absolute pleasure. Um, it was great to have the conversation with you guys. Um, I, I look forward. Oh, there's my dog. <laughs> yeah. I look forward to to working with you guys again and, and hearing the great um, Breaking Bad podcasts as they continue on. From my point of view, I hope that sometime that is over a uh, over a Guinness in yeah. Dublin. Oh. So, Kelsey, we got to work on that uh, post pandemic. We got to we got to make we, that happen. On my list. You need to do a road show. I mean, oh. exactly the Breaking Badness with Roadshow. the to Dublin, Ireland, where it, the well, most technology companies have their headquarters. It's just waiting for you to ha waiting to happen. Oh. You know, it's kind of funny. I'm I'm currently in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and um, my wife and I are looking for a home. And there's an area they they apparently there's a really large Irish population here and a huge festival. 
in what's known as Dublin, Ohio. And we were just looking at a neighborhood the other day called Dublinshire. Dublin, Ohio. And Dublin, Ohio. I was laughing to myself. Um, I was like a little, little different than Dublin, I will say. Not quite um, as green. Um, not as many pubs with great live music. A uh, little bit of a bummer. <laughs> Thought that came with the neighborhood. What's going on? <laughs> well, you'll have to work, Kelsey. Maybe you, you have to get yourself uh, elected in local politics on a platform of uh, more, more more Irishness. I mean, it's what the world needs, frankly. I'm, the, there's nothing more pressing than that, surely. <laughs> oh guys oh excellent well thank you so much and we just loved having you on breaking badness yeah kate made a falter out it's been absolutely amazing um i'll raise a glass on patrick's day to breaking badness and i'll say falter <laughs> and slauncher slauncher <laughs> slauncher thanks so much that's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.